um, to... needs unity. That's right. Really? Good for you. <laughs> you should be giving a speech. <laughs> <laughs> okay. In her inaugural speech, what did Tsai call each person in Taiwan? A hero. That's right. Oh wow! Good wow. job. So let's see who won here. Uh, I think it was one. a tie. Yeah, I think it was a tie. <laughs> Very good, you guys. So that was the inauguration quiz, uh, inauguration contest. Uh, great job, and thanks for joining our break game. this all about? Why are they doing that? What's going on here? It's Curious John. What is he curious about today? It probably doesn't come as any surprise that Taiwan, an island nation, has had its fair share of boats throughout history. From the strikingly painted seagoing canoes of the Dao people from Orchid Island to the grand Chinese-style junks of centuries past, there's a lot to marvel at where Taiwanese boats are concerned. But while these flashier boats get much of the attention in the popular imagination, there are also humbler, more plain vessels dotting Taiwan's past that also deserve our attention. Take, for instance, the thoroughly ordinary Tiutea, a workhorse boat that once helped power the economy around the southwestern city of Tainan, back when roads had yet to knit together much of the city's swampy hinterland. This wasn't anything fancy, but it was a dependable ride through the shallow inland waters, carrying cargo so innocuously that it was barely noticed until it had disappeared. Today, the National Museum of Taiwan History in Tainan holds the only surviving boat of this type in existence, and it is around this simple but important vessel that it's built one of its first exhibits after a year of closure for renovations. Exhibit organizer and museum researcher Su Fengnan joins us today for a look back at a ship that shaped a city. The Chiu Tia's arrival on the scene wasn't particularly noted, and so we can only guess about when it first appeared. It was certainly around by the start of the 20th century, though. This boat is shallow-bottomed. Perfectly suited to carrying cargo through the shallow rivers and inland swamps of Taiwan's southwest coast. It did have a sail that could be unfurled on a single mast when the wind whipped up, but it was otherwise powered by human punters pushing the boats through the marshes with poles. The sole surviving specimen of this boat, which, as we've noted, is today in the museum's possession, was operated by over three generations of a local family called the Lins, who used it to carry goods to wherever they were needed. In the early 20th century, when the boat was built, Taiwan had just come under colonial Japanese rule, and this flat-bottomed boat was used to carry salt from the coastal sun-dried salt flats that were long a big part of the local economy. After World War II, Japanese rule ended, and in time, so too would the salt trade due to the silting up of the local harbor. 
甚至是会运过一些比较特别的东西，比方说运过棺材，或者是人家有结婚的时候会帮忙运一些结婚的用品。Still, there were no roads around at this time, and simple boats like this one were one of the only reliable ways of getting goods moved around. By the 1950s, the boat's second-generation owner began taking anything that needed transporting. At different times, this boat carried rice, drinking water, wedding supplies, and even coffins, according to the needs of the local population. Through the 1960s and 1970s, though, local transport networks and the local economy evolved, and by the 1980s, they got to a point where this boat and others like it were just no longer needed. 因此，那一艘船就一直停在码头，放了非常久，于是它也慢慢的状态不是很好，就慢慢的沉入水底。The boat was left with nothing to carry, and it was left to rot on a wharf until it eventually sank into the water. During the early 1980s, a local artist rediscovered this boat with parts still sticking out of the water. 赶快找一些工人，或者是找一些吊车，把那艘船吊起来。吊起来之后，他们有在做一些简单的整修或者是清。He wanted to rescue the boat, remembering with nostalgia how many other boats like it had once plied local waters, but since disappeared. He got a local town office worker on board, and a work crew was brought in to dredge the boat up. Afterwards, repairs were undertaken, and the boat has remained in the same shape ever since. At first, the boat was put on display at a local library, where it sat alongside other objects from local history. A little over ten years ago, though, the library was torn down as part of an urban planning scheme. These objects would all need a new home, and the boat especially would need a big truck to move it there. The answer to the question of where all this stuff would go was actually sitting next door to the old library, in an office where planning just happened to be going on for what's now the museum. What better place than such a huge museum for such a boat? Once it was finally decided where the museum was going to go, sometime in the late 2000s, a big truck shipped the boat over to its new home, and it stayed there ever since. 这些小船呢，各有各的造型。在台湾的北中南东，甚至是在澎湖那边，我们也都各挑了一些。This Jutea boat is at the center of this new exhibit, but as the exhibit points out, there are plenty of other local boat styles from all over Taiwan that have also been forgotten. The museum's research has uncovered examples from every corner of Taiwan and even the offshore Penghu Islands off in the Taiwan Strait. 展区里面，我们就特地安排了一个你所不知道的十五个台湾潜水与船舶的小小故事。The museum doesn't happen to have examples of these boats, but in this exhibit, it's put together a list of 15 stories you didn't know about small boats, where facts about these boats are presented. The small, not exactly glamorous boats highlighted in this section did all sorts of jobs that you might not even expect from a boat. 有一些船哦，可以拿来割稻子、割稻谷；它有的可以拿来赶鸭子，有各种我们所意想不到的各种的用途。One boat, for instance, was used to haul harvested rice, while another was used specifically to drive away ducks. A large number of the boats introduced in this section have long since disappeared, but fortunately, a few remain, and you can still see them. 我们可能最多只能在台北的淡水河边，我们可能只能看到一些伞板还在那边来来往往，或者是到海边，我们可以看到。
For instance, if you head to the Danshui River outside of Taipei, you can still see plenty of the flat-bottom boats called sampans, complete with the symbolic eyes that are painted on the fronts of ships made by Taiwan's ethnic Chinese people. The only difference between these modern sampans and their ancestors is the motor attached to their keels today. Then there are more modern little craft, like the plastic rafts still used for harvesting oysters all along Taiwan's extensive coast. Mr. Su says that the overall point of the exhibit is to remind Taiwanese people of their close connection to boats, and not just the great seafaring ships that most readily come to mind. Whereas relatively few people had contact with big ocean-going vessels, smaller, more mundane boats, suitable for rivers and shallow coastal areas, were a big part of everyday life for many people throughout history here. Though highways and train lines have completely replaced inland water routes, these boats were, for a time, the things that kept local economies moving and people crossing rivers in a time before today's big bridges. Through boats and stories about them centered on this one surviving Chutea boat, the museum hopes to show that Taiwan is, after all, still an island surrounded by smaller islands, and that Taiwan's people, wherever they may be, are never far from the water, either physically or historically. The exhibit, The Precious Boat on Shallow Waters, The Biographical History of Chutea, runs at the National Museum of Taiwan History through December 31st, 2021. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. RTI is conducting a survey. Visit our website to fill out the questionnaire or simply send us your answers to the following four questions. Question number one. What platform do you use to listen to RTI programs? You can write more than one, but list the most frequent one first. Question number two. Which RTI programs are your favorites? Write no more than three programs. Question number three. Out of a total of five stars, how many stars would you give RTI's English broadcasts overall? And question number four. What are your suggestions for RTI's English programs? Everybody who enters will have a chance to win a prize. Send your answers to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan, 11199. Or send it via email. Our email address is audience01 at rti.org.tw. That's audience and the numbers 0 and 1 at rti.org.tw. Be sure to leave your name, gender, age, and nationality. Tourism commercials for Taiwan usually focus on the beauty of this subtropical island. The lush mountains, the white beaches, Aboriginal dancing and singing, Hakka cuisine, or maybe even a bustling temple. Recently at RTI, we tried to recreate those images with sounds. I'm Andrew Ryan, and in today's Ear to the Ground, a look at how we use radio to represent a small island with a whole world of sounds. An ear to the ground. 
how do you capture the beauty of Taiwan in just 30 seconds? Well, recently I took a stab at doing just that. The final product was a short ad that was jam-packed with uniquely Taiwanese sounds. Listen, are you listening? <laughs> this is the sound of my country. This is the sound of Taiwan. Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. Now that the ad's complete and we've begun to air it on RTI, I wonder whether people who've never been to Taiwan before can tell what all the sounds are all about. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play the sounds one by one, and I'll do my best to give you an idea of what they're all about and how they wound up in this ad. The ad begins with two little boys, Joshua and Joey. Have a listen. Listen. Are you listening? <laughs> this is the sound of my country. This is the sound of Taiwan. Now, Joshua and Joey are actually the sons of RTI host Natalie So. In the background, you can hear I've added some market sounds, which fade out when they ask you to listen a little bit more closely. Then the sounds of Taiwan are played one by one, starting with this one. That's the sound of a moon-shaped lute, an instrument played by an old man in the southern Taiwan county of Pingdong, I wanted to use this as background through the whole commercial because it sounds very Taiwanese and it gives the feeling of a laid-back, down-home, folksy atmosphere. That's the heart of Taiwan. The honking horn belongs to an ice cream seller on a motorcycle who is driving through an aboriginal village in the mountains of Shinju County. The kids that you can hear are from the Atayal tribe. They're yelling babu, babu, which is the sound of the horn, and it's also what they call ice cream. These waves were recorded on a beach in the southeastern county of Taidong. Taiwan is, after all, an island, so we need to hear the ocean. A marble falls into a bottle of soda. That's the sound that you can hear when you open up a traditional drink that kids have enjoyed for a long time. A drink called danzi qi shui. Now food is an important part of Taiwanese cuisine. You can hear this woman at the well-known Shilin Night Market in Taipei calling out three popular Taiwanese snacks. Oyster omelets, braised minced pork on rice, and stinky tofu. A scooter comes in here because this adds to the hustle and bustle that makes Taiwan so exciting. A fisherman from the northeastern harbor city of Jilong hawks his catch at a market in Taipei. He's using the Taiwanese dialect. The cicadas begin their rhythmic call at this point. That's commonly heard throughout Taiwan in the summertime. This announcement is in the Hakka language. It can be heard on the Taipei Metro as the subway pulls into Ximen Station. This is the Amis language, the language spoken by the largest group of indigenous people in Taiwan. The announcement was recorded at the train station in Taidong, which for me is like a second home.
So the picture I wanted to paint of the Taiwan I know and love is one full of friendly people. It's a place where music and food are important, and so are a wide variety of languages and cultures. And of course, beautiful natural vistas are never too far away. But as a collector of sounds, what I wanted to convey more than anything else is that Taiwan is a place where beauty can not only be seen, it can also be heard. With an ear to the ground, I'm Andrew Ryan. Pull yourself together already! It's time to feast. Sit down at the table with Andrew Ryan and Ellen Chu on Feast Meets West. Hello, welcome to the feast, and this is Ellen Chu, and this is Andrew Ryan, and we have Stash Butler with us. Hello, hi. How's everybody doing today? Doing swell, okay? Great. Well, wow, yeah. swell. swell. Gee, yeah. <laughs> gosh, gosh. <laughs> Andrew just got back from his trip. That's right? right. I went to a sunnier part of Taiwan, down south, for a little I beach time. I went to time. the south, and it was windy. It was oh. like a typhoon. Well, it's interesting. Yeah, how far Around south did Christmas, you go? I went to Pingdong. Kanding. Yes. Yes, that's where I was. That is the thing about Pingdong. It has warm temperatures, but the wind. Mm-hmm. I know. Oh, my goodness, the it wind. It was like a storm, okay? You know, they say Xinju in northern Taiwan is Fengchen, right? Or, do they say so, Fengchen, right? Yeah, but that's windy normal. City. You mean that's normal for Pingdong? That is normal for wow. this time of the year for Pingdong. They have what's called the Luosan Feng. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, the winds that descend from the mountains. I, yeah, yeah, I experienced that cycling around Taiwan okay. when I was doing that. You ended up doing that. You I did. cycled all the way around Taiwan. I did. You did. Wow. Yeah. How long did it take you? How uh, was it? I did it in 10 days with uh, one day rest. So nine days actual cycling. You know, Stash, I think he has a stash of stuff that he can share with us. Yeah, <laughs> I have stash of secrets. So stash yeah. of stash <laughs> secret experiences. Right. And wait, so you, are you a bicyclist? I'm not really. That's the thing. I've got people in my, my uh, apartment who are way more bicycly than I am. <laughs> How like, did you do it? It, it's just adrenaline I just kind of I mean you just kind of go and do it I mean I I just sort of got up I was I, I told myself and I told lots of other people I was going to do it and then I went and did it but um, is there a point any point that you wanted to give up and say I'm just going to take the high speed rail well yeah I mean that's just, this is the thing is like my friend was telling lots of her kind of Taiwanese friends uh, she actually did it in summer and they were just like oh yeah yeah so you're going to take the train then mm-hmm. and she's like well, no, that's not the point, right? right? The point is that I'm doing it, you know, powered powered by only by my own muscles. Um, but no, there was there were several points that I wanted to stop, but that was mostly because my bike uh, was slightly broken, and then particularly on the east coast, just at the southern part, like you're saying, the wind is just insane, right. and mm. you're cycling into it, and it's just it's not fun. It's not no. fun cycling in that kind of wind. Okay. It's funny. I, I cycled from uh, the little town of Hangzhou to a beach down in Kanding, which, you know, 15, 16 kilometers, very short by mm-hmm. by your standards. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, you know, no no big deal. And it was like, it was it was a struggle to get there. Yeah. And uh, three of us, two of our bikes broke halfway. Oh, great. So I was like, yeah, that's nice. That's Super brilliant. good. Not doing this again. <laughs> no, 
now and uh they the the people came to fix one of the bikes and like literally as soon as they drove away i got a flat tire oh, oh and man. so i you know we're like You're jinxed tried to call them they didn't answer and so i was like okay let's just go to the beach and my friends were on their bikes i'm like just just go normal speed i'll catch up and they were kind of going slowly and so i started running with the bike oh, like wow. a triathlete oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. ran for about two kilometers and then I was like, okay, I'm not having fun anymore. Okay. <laughs> Magically, somebody appeared on the roadside with a bicycle pump wow. and fixed it. And it was amazing. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Amazing. So lucky. Yeah, so lucky. But I can't imagine going all the way around Taiwan. That's, no. That is next level. It's good my, fun. It's my good level fun. is just Hebin Gongyuan. <laughs> <laughs> just the little park down by the river. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. Biggest takeaway from your trip around Taiwan? Um, mm, biggest takeaway? Mm-hmm. Um. Western Taiwan is quite has quite a bad air pollution problem. <laughs> that was my takeaway take from the western side. Um, eastern side, eastern side is a lot is very very beautiful, mm-hmm. especially the East Rift Valley. I think right. that was my mm. that's the favorite. That was my favorite part. I think that's on the east coast. It's sort of running parallel, or it's not on the east coast, but it's running parallel to the east coast, divided by a sort of narrow mountain range from the coast, and it's it's so. Yeah, it's so lovely. It's expansive. Yeah. The mountains in the distance look like very dark blue or even purple yeah, sometimes. Yeah, and you put it on both sides. It's, it's yeah. It's Were there rapeseed flowers in bloom? Um, I don't think when I was there, I don't think they were. Probably then. not. No, no. They turn all the uh, rice paddies turn like bright neon yellow. Right, wow. yeah. period of time. I think that happens maybe closer to Chinese New Year. Uh-huh. Mm. Yeah. Wow. At any rate, so we are actually going to be talking a little bit about Hang Chun down mm-hmm. south. Mm. Uh, we're going to be... T- t- the wind actually plays a very important role okay. in our show today. Uh, and we'll tell you about that in just a moment. Should we look at what's on our menu? Yes, definitely. All right. Okay, in our very first course, Andrew introduced us to an expert home chef in Hunchun who tells us why the local radishes are named after hitching posts for water buffaloes. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> it's an interesting story. All right. Also, um, in our second course, I'm going to head into the test kitchen uh, to braise some beef and radishes in a stew. So, my friend gave me these beautiful white jade mm. radishes wow. long amazing. and thin with smooth skins and they are just gorgeous mm. so I'm gonna make them into a braised beef and radish stew mm. and in a third and final course we'll be sampling that dish right here in our studio yep but first a song actually we're gonna start off with a sound postcard from Hung Chun okay uh, a couple years ago I met a gentleman named Zhu Ding Sun. Mm. who is kind of like a national treasure in Taiwan for his... Um, he plays the moon-shaped lute, so okay. the yue qin. Okay. Uh, and he also is a very beautiful singer. Unfortunately, he passed away a couple years after I did this sound postcard, um, but we're going to have a little listen to this um, just to bring us down and get us in the mood for Hang Chun. It begins with a sound found in Taiwan, a sound that tells a story. From across the miles comes a postcard. Sound Postcards. I'd planned to spend a week on the beaches of southern Taiwan, 
But then the seasonal wind swept across the Hung Chun Peninsula, scuttling my plans off into the sea. With no sun in sight, I head back into town for a cup of coffee at the Moonbeam Cafe. The cafe's owner, Willie Wu, reassures me that a trip to Hung Chun is worth it in any kind of weather, even when sheets of mist roll in with the tides. He quotes a Taiwanese poem by Song Tzu Lai. Any time is a good time to come to Hung Chun, for singing the songs of Chen Da can uplift a weary heart. Willie suddenly decides he's going to introduce me to somebody who plays the yuexin, the four-stringed moon-shaped lute that Chen Da played so many years ago. And the next morning, I find myself in an elementary school music class. As I watch the students perform, I notice this little man with an elfish grin and a long tuft of white hair on his chin. He's sitting at the back, strumming his own moon-shaped lute. The children and the teachers affectionately call him Akong or Grandpa. He turns out to be Zhu Ding Shun, a man who they also call a national treasure. At 84 years old, Akong is one of the most important keepers of the local musical tradition. Later, he invites me into his home, and in his modest living room, next to the fold-out cot where he rests his head at night, I learn why he's become a national treasure. This song is about the hardships of Taiwan's farmers, You can hear in his voice that he actually tilled the land as a young boy, sometimes relying on nothing but sour guavas to fill his belly. He tells me that often when he sings, his thoughts turn to his wife. He married her when he was 24, borrowing money for the dowry and fashioning two rings from used artillery shells. When her mother saw the makeshift rings, she tossed them out the window. His wife ran out and picked them up and then came back in crying and begging her mother to let her marry Zhu Ding Shun. He laughs when he recounts the tale today, but there's a sadness behind the laughter. You see, 30 years after their marriage... Agong's wife passed away, and none of his six children stayed to take care of him. It's been another 30 years since then, but when he sings this wistful song about a young bride preparing to leave her parents forever, you can hear the emotion in his voice. There's something about Agong's voice. It's the voice of a man who can still see those people and events of long ago. A voice as Taiwanese as the seasonal winds of Hung Chun. Outside, the winds are picking up again. Perhaps they'll blow the storm clouds away. But for now at least, I find solace in the last verse of Song Zelai's poem, a verse that I would write like this. Any time is a good time to come to Hang Chun, for the songs of Zhu Ding Shun Agong can uplift a weary heart.
The caption on today's sound postcard, How the Gathering Storm Clouds of Hengchun Led Me to a Weathered Storyteller with a Moon-Shaped Lute. First course. We're back now on the first course of today's Feast Meets West. Now, recently I headed down to the south of Taiwan to a town called Hengchun. It's very close to the southern tip of the island, and it's near Kunding, which is kind of a beach resort. I guess you could say that Hengchun is sort of like the more staid and cultural older uh, sibling of Kunding. Now, when I was down there, I ran into a friend of mine who I met about 10 years ago who's a wonderful cook. Her name is Liao Meihui, and uh, she gave me a bag of these beautiful small white radishes, smaller than normal. They looked a little bit different, and uh, it turns out that it was a specialty of Hengchun in this time of the year. So I sat down with her and asked her to tell me all about these beautiful and very unusual white radishes. She paused for a second at the beginning, unsure of whether or not it was okay to tell me the name of the radishes in Taiwanese. And of course, I said it's okay. That's the language that they speak in those parts. These are gukila, she says. Now it takes me a couple of tries to get it correct. Uh, but eventually I get it right. She explains that the Taiwanese name means hitching post for water buffalo. Now they would erect these wooden posts at the place where they would uh, let the buffalo out to graze. And then they would tie the buffalo to the post so that it wouldn't wander away. Now because the radishes are long and thin, they gave them the name hitching post radish or gukira because that's what they look like. Meihui tells me that they're also called white jade radishes. They're different from regular daikon, which are bigger and fatter. These thinner, smaller white jade radishes are only grown in Hengchun, which is at the southern tip of Taiwan, and they only grow them in winter. The earth in Hengchun is red clay, she says, and the radishes are buried in the earth like a hitching post with just the tip showing. That's why they're called gukila. Meihui tells me that they have thin skins, so the texture is more delicate. The climate is harsher in these parts, with strong winds, so the plants protect themselves by sending all the nutrients down into the root, giving it a wonderful, rich texture in the winter. It's crispy and sweet, perfect for pickling or for drying, and it's an essential ingredient on the winter tables of Hengchun. You can use salty, dried radishes to cook soup or even to make the very popular home-style omelette, cai budan. Now, if you want to use the radishes fresh rather than drying them, Meihui says that you just scrub the skin with a loofah instead of peeling it like you would with the thicker skin of normal daikon radishes. Uh, you can use these radishes to make a lot of different things, like pork rib soup. The skin is smooth and nutritious, she says. Now, to make the salty pickled radishes, what you do is you 
chop it in strips and then put it out to dry in the sun. She tells me that you can also shred it, and when you use it, you just soak it in water first. Now, if you want to stew it with pork, which is a very popular use for these radishes, it's actually better to stew it separately so that the flavors don't take away from one another. Meihui tells me to first stir-fry the aromatics, things like deep-fried scallions. Then you add soy sauce, white pepper, and you stew it in an electric cooker or on the stove until the radishes turn a beautiful savory brown color. So there you have it. Those are the beautiful white radishes of Hengchun in the winter and some ways in which you can cook them. Now, when we come back in just a moment in our second course, I am going to be creating a dish, Hongshao Niu Rou, or braised beef. But first, a song is called Baluo Bo, or Pulling Up the Radishes, and it's by Wu Kequn, Kenji Wu. Much more to come when the feast continues. Shu 也知道成人世界总有残破有没有一个属于恋人的梦工厂
春风迎春，一切传说，童话套路，儿时你我都听过。但曾为教我美满结局以后，王子还好吗？公主怎么过？假若不是王子，怎么生活？Second course. Right, we are back now on the second course of today's Feast Meets West, and we are in the Feast Meets West test kitchen. And I am making something that I would not normally make because I don't usually cook with meat in the test kitchen,、um, just because I don't really understand meat or really enjoy cooking with meat.、Um, however, this is perhaps one of the most well-known dishes. Uh, for cooking radishes,、um, and that is braised beef, which often comes with、um, radishes. So it's hong sao nyo ro. So I've got these beautiful、um, white jade radishes,、uh, and I'm just starting off by washing those radishes. Now remember, my friend Mei Hui said that you don't have to peel them. So I'm just actually using a, a little bit of a scrub to scrub off the dirt. So now that I've、uh, cleaned off my radishes and I've left the skin on, they're actually quite smooth,、uh, like she said they would be, very slippery.、Um, and now I'm just cutting them on the bias into little cubes.、Um, and now I'm taking my carrot. I've cleaned that off and have peeled it, and now I'm just chopping that up as well, also on the bias、uh, to make it look nice and pretty. Now. With the beef tendon, I am just cutting it into small pieces,、um, bite-sized pieces, and we're just going to parboil that quickly in some、uh, boiling water,、uh, just to clean it up a little bit. All right, so now that we're going to toss radish and carrot chunks in the beef tendon into a big pot, and I'm actually going to cheat a little bit、uh, and use a quick pot. I've actually never used、uh, the quick pot. I've never made this recipe, so this is a brand new thing for me.、Uh, if you cook it on the stove、uh, and you braise it slowly, it takes about an hour or so、uh, to get the same、um, flavors and textures that you can get with this quick pot in about 35-40 minutes. All right, so now I'm going to toss in all of the ingredients、uh, to make the sauce and flavorings of braised beef. I've got a tablespoon of rice wine. Three tablespoons of soy sauce paste. In goes a teaspoon of sugar. I'm also going to toss in a quarter teaspoon of salt and a dash of white pepper. All right. So on top of that, I'm going to add two star anise and also a little chunk of aged citrus peel or orange peel, tempeh as we call it. All that goes in, and、uh, I'm just gonna close the lid and and press the、uh, button for beef. And there you have it. It's gonna braise.、Uh, hopefully, this turns out okay. Never know what's gonna happen when I、uh, try something new in the test kitchen.、Um, at any rate, when we come back on a third course, we are going to be sampling that in the studio, and we're gonna top it just with some fresh cilantro before we eat it to add a little extra flavor. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to go into another song, and this song is called "Pongloba," 
And this is actually a song in the Hakka language, and it basically means to pull up the radishes, and it's by Lin Shengxia. Back in a moment when the feast continues. Listening to Feast Meets West. Third course. Oh, look at that! This is amazing. I can just see the beef. Once I put it in my mouth, it's gonna melt. You're just guessing. It's not because you like had a little sneaky bite first. It's good, yum. <laughs> <No>. mm. <laughs> but you know the amazing part is with the radish. Mmm. It kicks up the sweetness of the beef. Mmm. 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 Right. Yeah. We say stash. Like I'm loving it. Silent. Are you yeah. busy? Silent. That's a sign of me. Yeah. Just <laughs> intent. Mm. Concentrating on my food. <laughs> this must be a lot of work. Actually, not too bad. Really? I used a uh, quick pot, um, which cuts the braising di- time down from like an hour or more mm-hmm. to like maybe forty-five minutes. Wow. Okay. Um, so it's a lot of chop and measure mm-hmm. and toss into the pot, and then it does its magic for you itself. Um, it's pretty great. I think the radish itself mm-hmm. is amazing too, mm-hmm. because. I've had like lobo, you know, just bought off from supermarket. You know the big ones. Mm-hmm. It doesn't taste as sweet as this one, mm-hmm. right? So these are also like the size of the radishes that you see. That is the actual size of the thickness of the radish. So that's how thin it is. Oh, it's a really? Very, wow, yeah. It's like uh, if I were to describe it, it's like maybe um, a like fat a, asparagus. Uh, bigger than that, it's like a like a handle on a hammer. That's about the sh- shape and size. <laughs> oh, my. It tastes okay. better, I promise. Well, like a kind of, um, yeah, like a tennis racket, the kind of... Or, the grip, the yeah, grip. Okay. on a tennis racket. But also, it tastes better than that as well, I think. It doesn't do any mm. fairness to the way you guys describe it. No. It's the grip of a hammer. <laughs> grip of a hammer. Is there anything okay. kind of edible we could compare it to? Hmm. A zucchini? Yeah, but then you mean like the kind of the, the kind the long find. thin ones? Yeah, but that's, yeah. I'm, I didn't see any of those before I came to Taiwan. Or same with um with the uh, eggplants, the long thin egg Japanese eggplants. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I never. Uh, uh, sorry, yeah, I was thinking of the eggplants. Actually. Oh, I, I never. Well, seen you have those. another word for zucchini. You call them we, um courgette, courgettes. courgettes. Yeah, 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 that's yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I get confused. Okay, cultural differences. Uh, sorry yes. about that. <laughs> oh goodness. Oh, wow. Breakdown this is, communication. This is great, you know. So, you know, would you cook soup with this? Mm-hmm. You could. Uh-huh. So, my um, friend took that, um, the the oil that was left over from the mm-hmm. beef cooking, uh-huh. 
and he made noodles with it this morning. Wow. wow. So you can actually take the sauce because it had it created a lot of sauce. I bet, yeah. Because mm. the meat like produced a lot of um, like water. Like a gravy kind of type thing. Oh, yeah. Mm. And uh, he just put that into, he was cooking noodles and he just poured it in there. Mm-hmm. Delicious. Mm. And it's like, it's all, uh, it's very similar to like nyoromian, the beef noodle soup. Uh-huh. Yeah. The same kind of flavor. Yeah. So do you have to put a lot of soy sauce in there too? You put, um, for that amount, probably about three tablespoons of uh, soy sauce paste. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So jiao gao instead of just jiao. Right. Wow. So, but it comes with other stuff. Um, there's uh, the star anise. There's uh, also some ten peas. So mm. some aged uh, orange rind. Um, also, like salt, sugar, mm. um, uh, pepper. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can put a lot of different things in. You can put garlic in there. You can put ginger in there if yeah. you want. Or you can add like la gel. Yeah, spicy. Make it spicy. Yeah. Some yeah. people love to do it spicy. Next time, I'll, I'll put a little chili pepper in there for you. Then we just need some noodle. <laughs> <laughs> right? This actually, you could serve this over noodles as well yeah, as over I bet. rice. Mm. I bet. It looks, it looks perfect for it. We've this also served it with um, some cilantro, but you don't need that either. But I think it makes it a nice little I fresh think, uh, yes. pick up. It, I think it's good. The cilantro. Especially with, with people who likes to taste the cilantro. Yeah. yeah. If you're not that 10% or whatever <laughs> mm. it is. That- <laughs> Do you know when I was upstairs? I in love the, it. I was in the kitchen and somebody was looking and watching me put it together and washing the cilantro. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, is this Mu? Is this like a, one of those uh, challenge shows? Where uh, you, are like, you whoever, serious? Whoever loses has to eat cilantro. And I was like, it's not that bad. No, we're like fighting over it. <laughs> I know. I'll eat the whole thing. I know. <laughs> But I think some people really they have okay. a d- genetic uh, predisposition yeah, yeah, to yeah, yeah, dislike. So yeah. cilantro is, is just like like or dislike. Yeah, very clearly. It's very uh, it's very what do you call it? Uh-huh. It's uh, polarizing. Polarizing. Yeah. There you go. Mm. Glad we have Stash with us. <laughs> well, so that's our show about Hung Chun and okay. about uh, the beautiful white jade. Radishes. Okay, so next time I go to Huncha, I'm going to go get some, okay? Or you can ask for hitching post radishes. Yes, <laughs> I think so. So, remember, write to us, P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan, or you can write a secret love note to Andrew at <laughs> A-N-D-R-O-O at R-T-I dot That's right. Next Saturday on The Feast, join us for a stimulating plate of veggies that will wake your body up just in time for spring. Yes. If you are fa- feeling a little bit lazy in your body, you know, you want to get yourself waking up, you know, mm-hmm. listen to our show. But, you know, if you're listening before you sleep, beware <laughs> and be careful. That's right. It might be keeping you up all night. Yeah. People are probably wondering, spring? Why spring? Well, we'll tell you why spring is coming yes. very soon mm-hmm. in Taiwan. Before we go, one final song, and, and this is related to the town of Hangchun. Yes, this is also a very, well, you know, uh, representative song for mm-hmm. Hangchun. You know, whenever people think about Hangchun, it's Hangchun Guniang, this song. And this is sung by Zhang Xiuqing. That's right. So the, the maiden of Hangchun, I yes. guess you would call it in English. Mm-hmm. All right. For Feasting Sust, I'm Andrew Ryan. And this is Ellen Chu. And thanks for joining us, Stash. Thank, Thank you very you. much. We'll see you all next week. All right. Bye. Bye.
For listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw. Our 60-minute English program can be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6185 kHz. In South Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan. You can also email us at rti at rti.org.tw. 